everyone. Hi, we are, we're back. We're back and reporting live from west side of Los Angeles. West LA, <laughs> no west baby. Side, yeah. Very west LA. How's back it going? to our roots. <laughs> <laughs> we just went to a brand new coffee shop that wasn't in this area before. And it's actually, what'd you think? Did you like it? It was so chill. It was really, all the people seem friends. They had yeah. a podcast also, yeah. but I guess it's on hiatus. So. Yeah, we were like, what's your podcast? It was a coffee shop with a podcast. And we were like, oh, what do you guys do? What's the podcast? And the guy was like, oh, it's your Chuck. He was like, it's Chuck's podcast. He just like interviews dudes. And I was like, who's Chuck? And they're like, oh, the owner. But it's one of those coffee shops where, you know, they expect that you know who Chuck is because it's an area that is very local. neighborhood, yeah. Um, and... And then they said that he interviewed a meth dealer. No, they said that he was a meth oh, dealer. he was a yeah. meth dealer. Oh, so he talks about that. Yeah. Um, From so meth that's... dealer to coffee shop owner. <laughs> <laughs> so somewhere out there, Chuck, friend of the pod. <laughs> friend of the pod, friend of the neighborhood. Um, yeah. How does it feel being back in your, your neighborhood? Oh my God, I love it. Yeah. Like I, I love it more than I thought I would. I think a part of me would be, was wondering like, oh, am I going to go, you know, after this big beautiful trip and come back and be back in LA and have sinus problems and mm-hmm. <laughs> feel like I made a mistake but yeah it feels like the best ever Do you I'm miss s- Hawaii um not really I will say like not at all on like a like an intuitive level you know like mm-hmm. when you just know you miss something I don't have that I do have this recollection of just great things that I can't do anymore you right know? But it's pretty cool. I'm staying in contact with people that I knew there. I get updates on my ex-lover's dog <laughs> um, and his life over there. It's just all, it's all good. It'll always be there. Yeah. You know, I went really deep over there and I could always go back to You had those. an immersive uh, experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I can go back there with new friends and mm-hmm. <laughs> all that. <laughs> new faces. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I feel great to be back. I'm staying at my parents' place. For now, but it's yeah. really comfortable and I could stay longer. Which I love. I love I love your parents. It's always nice to be back. This place is like um one of the most constant things in my whole life is this apartment, yeah. I would say. Definitely. Yeah, it's always they've always been in the same same place, same stuff, yeah. same routine. Yeah. Every time I go into the living room from my, my bedroom, my dad says, What happened? Just open just to I guess that's his greeting of <laughs> what's going on. He goes, What's happened? I might take that. I like that a lot. It's really funny. Yeah. Because normally, you know, nothing really happened, but what if it did? Uh, but he's my dad is so funny. He's yeah, you might overhear like Skype calls in the background, you guys, because we're yeah. not in a sound booth. Yeah, if you hear Portuguese yelling, then you know exactly what it was like to be me <laughs> as a kid. It does still happen here. I could, it's louder now. I always knew that it was loud. But as an adult, having a, like a break from it, like six years of not living at home, I'm like, okay, that's really fucking loud. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense that it's this loud. Yeah, I do think that older people yell on the phone. Like, my dad will yell. And I'll be standing yeah, next true. to them and be like, you know, everyone can hear you and you don't need to yell that loud. Yeah, or they don't trust that the phone is picking the up connection, what they're saying. Right, exactly. <laughs> they come from a time where the connection wasn't as good. Yeah. Now I feel like if you yell, it actually is worse for the phone. Like it almost becomes distorted and you have to kind of speak softly to be yeah, heard in yeah. a lot of cases. I'm actually surprised out of all the technology, I feel like phone speaking 
is a little less, you know, it's like they, like it feels like text message and social media is like at this rapid rate of like making it better. Yeah. And I'm still so confused that just actual phone conversation still drops. Oh, and still, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> still feels funky, but all the time. I was really happy to be in LA. We went to our first like post COVID party, like a yeah. backyard full of people. Yeah. Really fun. Unbelievable. I walked away from it. Um, not feeling drained. Normally like in before times I was going to a party. A lot of times I'd kind of just feel like discombobulated after. Oh, same. And I'd be like, okay, we dressed up, we sat down. Yeah. But this time I felt like <laughs> it also was interesting because personally, like a lot of the people at the party were people that knew my boyfriend and hadn't met me because although we got together before, before COVID, um, I just didn't meet a lot of his friends. And so weirdly, unexpectedly and you guys really committed during the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, I think from afar, people are seeing you guys get a dog and live together. And they're like, who is, who is this, this girl? Bitch? No. <laughs> oh, so you had your girlfriend reveal. I didn't, I had, realize Oh, that. I had so many people. One person, I was standing under this, uh, fruit tree picking fruit. And this person was like, kumquat tree. Kumquat tree. Yeah. <laughs> kumquat. kumquat even a fruit. <laughs> I think it's a berry. I think that's just remind me of like something that would be on the schoolyard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was sucking on one throughout the party. My mom growing up glorified kumquats and so I have a strong place in my heart. But this person ran up to me and was like, James. And I like (laughs) truly was like, huh. Because that uh, doesn't happen. So when did that to you too? But that's because (laughs) the internet. Um, (laughs) But I had a good time at the party and I think... um, it was really, we had so much fun. We got yeah. home at two in the morning, which before a pandemic, I was always finding myself home by like 1130 being like, yeah. okay, I'm glad I saw the people I saw, you yeah. know, but I was yeah. never invested in like the party medium right. and like watching it evolve. Yeah. And I think that's what I missed about loving parties is when you stay, <laughs> when you just stay out, you know? But yeah. We were there for a long time too. I yeah. like seeing, we saw the beginning of the party when there were a few people, then mm-hmm. we saw it peak and then... We saw sort of the dregs of it. I want to see if you relate to this because this is the first time I've observed this. I feel like every party you arrive and there's like a really good burst, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's a dull moment Mm -hmm. and you either choose to leave during the dull moment or you stay. And if you stay, sometimes you're rewarded and sometimes you're not. Yeah. But there was a moment at the party where there was a dull moment where it was like, there was nobody I wanted to talk to. My friends were like being adventurous. I, I just waited and then I talked to someone had a great time and then I then I my night just like bloomed into this like interesting joint smoking kumquat sucking <laughs> <laughs> I I think personally I don't have that because if I I'm such a an introvert that if I were to slow down in those situations I think I would just collapse just full stop mm-hmm. um interesting and interesting. so if I'm at a party I kind of have to just keep like like a pinball machine like and then you build energy yeah but I can't yeah, and I can't I can't stop otherwise yeah. it's just like then I'm like oh my god I've spoken to so many people and how many words have swirled in my head because mm-hmm. a lot of times this didn't happen yes on the party day mm-hmm. but I'll walk away from a party and the neuroses will kick in and be like if you remember that thing that you said you think that it came up this way and it's like <laughs> really oh yeah I have such a like and then I have to slow my brain down and mm-hmm. so if that were to happen mid-party I think um I don't know what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> Until, yeah. But yeah, I always need an activity. Like that's what I'll do is I'll I take an activity. I love that about you. So this activity <laughs> you guys was picking the kumquats and making a drink that my friend invented. Yeah. Um, and I did that for multiple people. Creative foraging. That was actually, yeah. that's the thing though, is that that followed the dull moment, I think. Mm. But maybe there was a general dull moment, but you are so activity oriented, <laughs> which is amazing. It's one of my favorite things about you. And... <laughs> So you got you, and then you kind of get other people on board, mm-hmm. and then it was like, now we're making cocktails. 
Yeah, well, I co-opted garden. my friend's movement and <laughs> yeah. then kept it going. Because she was like, let's make a cocktail or two. And then I was like, let's make your cocktail bitch. <laughs> that was really cute to watch. So it was this yard. Also, everyone had dogs. And I everyone feel dogs. like it was sort of reminiscent of, of COVID puppies. Because yours was a COVID dog. Yeah. We didn't um, bring our dog. Wish we did. Of, but yeah. Yeah, a lot of the other stories were the same thing. Oh, it's a year. We got our year ago. Mm-hmm. And so this... There was at least six dogs at one point. Yep. Um, and so they were having their own social thing. I saw one dog getting so bullied. Different. Oh, the... There was like Houdini. a... Houdini. And he was getting bullied by this beautiful black lab. And the Houdini's parents were like, oh, they're just playing. But like, I was watching them. Yeah. And their Houdini was getting like, literally chased around real. the yard, hiding near people's legs. <laughs> you know when a dog hides near a human's leg because they're not having fun? Yeah, totally, totally. That's the sign. And they like step out to like party for a second, but they're just like... Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to watch. I think yeah. we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> And the giant dog named Baby. This Baby. was that was a surreal. I love when people create surrealism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this person had this humongous white. It was not a golden retriever. What was it? Uh, no, it was a. Oh, I remember the name, but now I can't remember it. It's the type of. They're like farm dogs. They actually watch over farms, and they're actually really peaceful. Mm-hmm. But that big bark. I don't know if you were there when the dog started barking at the guy. Yeah. Um, this one guy showed up, and I guess. <laughs> He was wearing a baseball cap or something. Oh, the dog he was like the weird. one person wearing a baseball cap, mm. and he took off the baseball cap, and the dog calmed down. But um, oh. yeah, really cute. But they basically like are very peaceful, can stay up all night watching over the farm. Wow! And they won't fall asleep. They'll keep their eyes open. But when something happens, their bark is like resounding. Yeah. Um, God, that's gorgeous. Yeah. So yeah, just white, like pure white dog, humongous. It looked like basically if someone had a white lab uh, golden retriever, and then like. Yeah, like the opposite of shrink ray, like grow put it serum. in water for three days, <laughs> <laughs> like those cheap toys. It's like grow husband, right? Exactly. Uh, if they put it in water for three days, it was just huge. Like I had this giant. I can't believe head. I can't. I was saying it all night because I actually knew what kind of dog it was, and I was being that like proud girl, being like, "Hi." Kind of the size of a Newfoundland, bigger, bigger. Yeah. yeah. You know when a dog just has a huge head, and you're just like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, like, and the face. sweetest dog in the whole world, and named Baby. So it yeah. was this giant white dog named Baby. That was nice. That dog was the definition of that <laughs> meme. Like, I'm Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah. So good, that was really fun. Good party. Um, if anyone wants the drink recipe, hit me up. <laughs> you need to go to... You have to, to pay for it. Will's Yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to break in. <laughs> there was a, Also, there was a, a mushroom shed. Shed. Yeah. So this person is growing mushrooms and selling them at a farmer's market, but like really plentifully, like Mm -hmm. looks like a pro at the farmer's market. And you go (laughs) and then there's a shed in his yard. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a legit operation. Yeah. (laughs) Super legit. And um, I've never seen a mushroom farm. Never seen a mushroom farm. And he decided it was a quarantine project that just went, went into like real world super real world when you get into the farmer's market you're in the real world (laughs) also it's kind of funny i just love like if you look at everything through the context of post-covid like even the mushroom thing i didn't think about that until you said that of like the projects that took off and the ones that didn't right like this one really took off to the point where and that's so la too to have a backyard with a shed and you're growing mushrooms in it that you sell at a farmer's market oh my god the most (laughs) la i think Um, that's such a part of la is like being in this city and then sort of touching on wholesome farmer vibes mm-hmm. <laughs> but like still in the context of you know like men that take up like woodworking sure they're like oh yeah in a tiny apartment absolutely it sort of was dovetails mm-hmm. with the um the sourdough bread 
ec- epidemic that happens, and then some people like now are selling them on the side of the streets, <laughs> like in their sourdough bread stands. You know, mm-hmm. I I didn't do the sourdough bread. I thing, had a bread but, yeah, me either. Yeah, no, I'm not like an oven. The oven, I'm still not Chris acquainted made some with the oven. Breads. I remember you. Yeah, started, you would feed it. We had the thing. It exploded great. everywhere, but. Um, good times. Hawaii lover is sending me videos of myself <laughs> in a loving way. Oh. <laughs> a video of me driving the truck. <laughs> and that was when I still thought I was going to stay there and get a license oh in a truck God. in Hawaii. Um, sorry, little intro. I'm going to go back to my notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about two things that are, of course, related. Yes, <laughs> One of, of which is the. Um, made in LA show with the hammer, which we saw yesterday and the hammer in general, we're going to talk about the hammer museum, which for both of us since our teen years has been just an LA staple and just source of so much. Right. Right. Um, big inspiration went to the show yesterday. And then after that conversation, we're going to talk about curating your life. Yeah. What that means to us. Yeah. We're going to interview each other on that. Curating, (laughs) (laughs) curating, we curate ourselves. (laughs) We've been here. Yeah. Um, so yesterday, Made in LA, what did you think? So just so you guys know, it's the Made in LA show at the Hammer Museum. Happens every two years. And it's, I think we've probably gone to every single one mm-hmm. since, like, what, 2009 or something? Probably, yeah. Um, and they're just impeccable group shows of LA artists, usually up and coming, usually younger. So diverse, just from every corner of this city and... It's just such a fun show. It's yeah. so amazing. So that's happening right now and going until, I think, August 1st. Yeah. So if you're in L.A. or visiting, definitely it's my favorite show in the world. So you really <laughs> never know what you're going to get because it is. it yeah. depicts L.A. and the fact that L.A. is such a diverse, um, spread-out landscape. Mm-hmm. And so you do get a lot of different things, which I really love. I also love that it, it's half the show when you go part of it feels like part of half of the art you're like oh this makes me want to make art because it makes me feel like I can do anything right? yeah and some of the art is just like so good you're like I don't need to do anything yeah <laughs> Does that make yeah sense? yeah like you go being like oh my god I could <laughs> it's like such a mixture and it feels like it takes the temperature of the city so as it is it's a time capsule mm-hmm. this this um show specifically felt like a time capsule within a time capsule because um it was supposed to start I think in February of or March was it March? It of? was March of 2020. Yeah, no, it was, it was always it's a summer show. It was June of 2020. Okay, yeah. So they were preparing it, um, and of course, COVID shut it down. And so, rather than altering the pieces or or asking the artists to put something else together that maybe was more conducive to um, socially distanced mm-hmm. experience, they kept everything, and so it felt like a time capsule of like. Okay, obviously we're still technically in a pandemic, but mm-hmm. but when the show was supposed to go up, we were in a much more severe state here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and so it, it just felt like we were all kind of suspended in this moment mm. together and kind of like facing it head on rather than saying like, oh, we're going to make something else that doesn't really address it. Like there mm-hmm. were multiple pieces that said like, you can't put your arms in this. It also calls into question... Well, I do actually have some insight on this about kind of the relationship between curators and the artist of what can be changed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and kind of like working in the realm of the gallery. And I think in part, it's like you want to keep it as close to what it was as possible. And I think 
even with COVID passing through, it's like the original piece needs to stay the same because whoever is acquiring it, whoever owns it, yeah. you know what I mean? They need to keep the story alive, right? Because, you know, how, you know, art works, right? It's like you, <laughs> you the same object again and again acquires value culturally. But this is really funny. Mm-hmm. So I worked at the Hammer. We'll get into that aspect. Um, yeah. And one of the best insights I got was there was this group show that was just, it was called, uh, oh, stories, the stories we tell, stories, the the word story was in the title, but it was basically just about, the whole show was just about uh, applying stories to objects and how a lot of conceptual art is essentially just stories attached to objects. And it was almost... It's very meta. It was so meta. And visually, it was a very boring show in the sense that, like, there was a sock on the floor. But then you would read the wall text and it would say, this sock was worn by King James Third, And there's a whole story. And then there'd be a wedding ring and a glass thing. And it was like, this was proposed to who and to. And then there was these pillows. And it said, all these pillows have only been slept on by acrobats, right? And so <laughs> I, of course, love this show because I just love anything about vessels, right? But some people would show up and... That's actually when I got to meet Stefan Simkowitz was that show. Mm. And I said, it's great, but it's not accessible. And he was like, it's not accessible. Um, but <laughs> so something that happened during that show was there was this one artist that just had suitcases. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Just old suitcases. And they were just to be put in different parts of the gallery by curators. That's his artwork. His yeah. artwork is, I bring suitcases to the gallery and the curators choose where they go. Yeah. And so that was one of the biggest issues they had because... Um, the there was rules in the museum to make sure that it didn't look like a bomb threat. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so he was like, I want it to be here and here. And they'd be like, well, we can't do that because this is the lobby. We can't leave it in the bathroom yeah. and install. <laughs> yeah, and it's like going to freak people out or like yeah. this is like in a fire area. And like, sure. so the biggest trouble they had was this curator and this artist, you know, and it, it, you think about how the whole piece is about having the curator place the things so it wasn't really between the curator and the artist. It was the curator and the artist together against the, the, the museum rules and, like, the building rules. Right. Um, and you just think about how that that's the piece, right? Yeah. And it kind of, in the end, wasn't the piece, but the story is still being told. It's mm-hmm. like the curator chose the place. It's like, well, the curator chose the places and then... Within the constraints of the fire code. Yeah. yeah. Which is also art, but they yeah. didn't talk about that part. Um, which just, almost makes it more interesting... Because it speaks to, like, the human imagination and needing to, like, find different ways within constraints. Absolutely. And even if you think of, you know, anything shown in the gallery, it's, like, even, like, with this COVID thing, I mean, that's, like, another layer of constraint. It's, like, well, it starts with the gallery. It's, like, is your piece, like, has to be placed in a certain place? And especially with video projections, I always am very, like, critical of, like, how they do that. And it's, like, oh, there's the sound bleeding in. Like, what's the, like, is your piece getting what you were, you know, trying to give? And then you were you really pointed out the COVID constraints really well. Well, I just felt like it was, yeah, like they did the thing and they they talked about it and it felt like we were all sort of within almost a memoriam of this time, but we're also mm-hmm. still within the time, of, in in a sense, we're still in COVID, mm-hmm. right? We're still all wearing masks in the gallery. In the gallery yeah, um, limited. We had to entry. enter the. I didn't something that was really hard for me is like you had to kind of go in the front door. And then go out another door. And I don't really go through a gallery in a linear mm. way. Sometimes I'll circle back and then just end up sort of wandering out. But it same, same. weirdly just like same. threw me where I was like, it felt like walking up against an invisible wall mm. in a video game where she was like, you have to go out that way. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Obviously not her fault, but like, mm. I don't know. It's these things that affect 
us in ways that we wouldn't expect them to, like really little things. Mm-hmm. The grocery store did that, but I feel like nobody listened and nobody enforced it. Yeah, the grocery store did that, but like it's different because it's a grocery store. Like art is such a like intrinsic emotional experience, yeah. and it's like yeah, you have to yeah. just wander around. Yeah, <laughs> like there's no system. Like I have a system when I go into the grocery store every time. I don't. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I had to develop it when I was shopping for my parents. Otherwise, mm. I would be in the grocery store for an hour. Totally. But I. Me right now. Yeah, I would always. Now I do a half circle every time, and Chris will be like, "Okay, I'll meet you," and I'm like, "No, no, 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 we stick together because I have this." That's a goal, thing. honestly. Because I think my experience in the grocery store now is like, is like a very who am I experience mm-hmm. <laughs> like in my life right now. It's like, am I? Yeah. Am I berries and granola in, in the morning, or am I? Yeah. Bacon and eggs, like all day. Um, Harry just said, "Should I put this on my feed?" <laughs> Dude, airplane mode. <laughs> I should have getting all this content. Should we say yeah? So Harry sent us a, a meme he made, and he's like, "Should I put this on the feed?" I think yes. Oh, absolutely! It's so funny. <laughs> Everyone loves that structure too. Yes, James and I say yes. And it's like tag yourself. Is chocolate touch in there? Yes, it is, baby. Yeah, the white one. Waffle neutral. Okay, really fun. Cell phone meme is what we're talking about. Okay, back to the hammer. Um, yes, yeah, being not being able to wander out in Ain Rizad. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk about some individual pieces? Yes. I yeah. will say, so when you first, something I really like about, I mean, should we talk about the hammer history or should we just talk about the show and then kind of how much we love the hammer? <laughs> you know? We can talk about the history. You want to give a quick history? Gabby worked at the hammer for a number of years, so... Oh yeah, I was having a story. So I do want to say we have why a story in the house. The Hammer Museum is not just any museum. <laughs> um, so it's one of the only or the only museum on the West Side that actually shows important conceptual art. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. the only one. I think the West Side is all of the you know the notable galleries and museums are all in the East uh, usually. But the Hammer, other than LA Louver, I would say yeah, LA Louver does good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Hammer. How it began was someone named Armand Hammer, who is related to Army Hammer, actually, <laughs> because Army Hammer used to come into museums and, and bring women and say, this is my museum. Um, but just, <laughs> it's such such an entertaining everything. Okay, so Armand Hammer, but not to be confused with the brand Arm and Hammer. Armand, Armand Hammer is a, is a man who made tons of money in the oil business, uh, Occidental or something. Mm-hmm. And so he, when he was in his 90s, he wanted to open a museum, and he was one of those very typical rich men who were just powered by, you know, being seen and, yeah. and being uh, uh, being applauded and showing off their riches in and, and that way. So when he was dying, he was like, I need to put all my acquisitions in a museum. I need to do that. So he gets this, right, I think it's connected to his office building. So he gets this building. It's on the corner of Westwood and Wilshire um, to have a, his museum open, and so... He was in his 90s and literally dying, like he's about to die. And on the opening of his museum, they filled him with adrenaline and blood and like new blood from like someone else and like adrenaline. And he like was rolled in in a wheelchair and like kept alive to like experience his (laughs) museum opening. And he was a very sketchy man because he this was all from a New Yorker article that was passed around the office when I worked there. Um, And he had multiple wives all over the world and what he would do is they were his mistresses because he did have a wife, right? And so his mistresses, he would have kids with them and then just, like, send them to Mexico. Oh my he was God. like, you can't be here anymore. 
and make oh them change God. their name and what they look like. And one of and he made one of his mistresses into the museum director of the place. So he had her change her name and her hair and everything wow. and made her the director because then he could have control over the museum and nobody really knew how tied they were, right? Mm. So it was just like basically the birth of the museum was like very sketchy shit. On top of that, when Armin Hammer dies, it is revealed that he actually isn't that rich at all and had many connections and many uh, broken deals with everyone, like the most powerful people in LA, including LA County itself. And when he died, he just fucked over so many people Wow! <laughs> because he just didn't have that. And he put all his, so the museum sits there um, and it becomes just this like courtyard in Westwood that nobody cares about. They show like, you know, historical shows, you know, like all these vases from like, right. Like you know, the Getty. Yeah, yeah. Getty vibes, but like super low quality. Um, <laughs> and so the current director, who's this like amazing power lesbian <laughs> we always call her because she's this tall blonde older woman who always wears these beautiful tailored suits with statement shoes and her wife looks exactly like her Whoa. and her wife I think is in charge of the national history like a sector in the national history museum so there's just this like power couple with a beautiful house it's insane and so she's in charge but how that happened was in 1999 <laughs> um the she was working at, I think, Drawing Center in New York, which is a smaller gallery institution, but obviously way more notable than the Hammer was at that time. And the Hammer sent her a letter and said, hey, we would love you to, we're looking for new directors to take over the Hammer Museum. And we thought of you and like, you should come check it out. And she said she threw out the letter and was like, what? Like, what is this place? I've never heard of this. But she happened to be in LA the next week and she, she visits with her friend, the Hammer Museum, and she said she walks in and she has this huge aha moment of what it could be. And she's just overcome with this feeling that she could really make this place better and like matter. And she did. She took the job. <laughs> and since 1999, I think they, they partnered with UCLA. So, and they got rid of all of the... Um, they had a huge poster of Armand Hammer in the lobby oh, and they, no. yeah, they worked really hard to take <laughs> away his like likeness from the museum because her whole vision had nothing to do with anything he stood for. And so they took down that and started just calling it the Hammer Museum. Right. Um, and she just turned it into this amazing contemporary, like politically correct, like diverse, like incredible institution. And it's now, you know, 2021 and they got like, millions of dollars two years ago to like uh, make it free for everyone make it free for yeah. everyone a lot of um people on the board of major museums like LACMA and MOCA left <laughs> to be on their board instead and we just like watched it grow and grow and just kind of be like the best like the best programming like everything yeah and for when we were kids it was free um kids as in teens yeah <laughs> when we were little kids but it's just an impeccable story. And then on top of that, I got to work there and be really close to everyone. And the director was just this incredible lady, such a master at what she does, and so nice to everyone. And I just have such a good connotation with this place. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, you work somewhere, you love a place and you work there. And sometimes, oftentimes, you leave with this a whole new vision and yeah. <laughs> secrets and like dark secrets. But I just ended up loving them more. So that's the history. Pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
what were your first experiences with the hammer like when you think of the hammer as a teen like what comes up for you definitely the indie 1031 concerts oh my god so fun we would go indie 1031 is no longer um but it was an iconic station back in the day back in like 2005 2010 11 i feel like was their peak Mm -hmm. um and they broke a lot of indie artists um jonesy's jukebox Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols had like a show um, and they did these concerts every Thursday night and it was mm-hmm. at least two bands a night sometimes three yeah two of them. Um, and we would go it was free um, <laughs> and it was really important to be able to go to something like that especially for Gabby and I who were not afforded opportunities to be around anything like nice. that was cultural yeah anything yeah. nice we yeah. didn't have that opportunity. And so, you know, you walk into this beautiful courtyard, there's music playing, mm. you can go into the galleries and wander in, and there wasn't any pressure to do that either. Um, and you were sort of surrounded by adults, and they were drinking, and like there wasn't mm-hmm. a weird thing where I was like, you can't be here because you're not 21. Yeah. Like it was just, there wasn't this feeling of, of, there was no othering there. It was very accepting. Mm. And the music was great. Like music was great. You, it would go to like 11 or 12. And so you would get home at a reasonable mm. hour for your parents. Like it was just like very special. And we saw Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros there. The we Growlers saw, played in 2009. Yeah. And the they Growlers. were a whole other band. <laughs> I feel like Bat for Lashes. I think they played, yeah. Um, a lot of like indie bands. Warpaint, definitely. Yeah. Um, and... It just was, it really shifted things for me. I think, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have ha- been the same if I hadn't have had those shows growing up, seeing like what it's like to just be amongst people and have that communal joy of watching something um, and getting lost. Like it was like the first time I'm getting lost in a crowd mm-hmm. and um, and I've, I was specifically me. I don't remember if you were drinking at the time, but I didn't drink. So it was like very pure and like spiritual almost Mm -hmm. just to have those experiences so um loved it loved it a lot and then and then by way like osmosis then I started going into like the galleries and seeing the shows Mm -hmm. and sort of I think subconsciously being impacted by what I was seeing there not really taking it in as much as a kid because I wasn't Mm -hmm. like super visually driven um much more into music and so but now I'm like um I mean, we go all the time without there being a concert. Yeah, yeah we go. <laughs> and then it turned into the KCRW shows, which sort of have a little bit more, like, polish, but... Yeah, they've evolved to... I think I noticed them kind of go from... Because we used to go... I remember when we were teens, it would be empty, empty all the time. Mm-hmm. I would stay in a video gallery sometimes for just two hours because I was a teenager and I'd be hanging out with somebody mm-hmm. like be on the ground like wrestling yeah yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. that's what you do um and nobody would come in and yeah. now it's like it's very full but I I think I kind of watched them evolve from like free gallery and like figuring it pretty out open yeah, yeah to like now they really appeal towards people that can pay for membership which mm-hmm. makes sense yeah and so I think a lot of the summer concerts concerts now are like jazz and like you go there and it's all like middle-aged like adult right 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 and it was <laughs> like they had open projector night where you could bring in like your little short film and this was before this was right when youtube was like coming out like in yeah. general so it was like wow someone else can view a video that i made and mm-hmm. i think we never made one but we always talked about it yeah, there was two comedians that would open and they would like and they had free popcorn which of course was yeah. like gold liquid gold <laughs> yeah we never submitted but we'd always go with uh, we always- with your boyfriend at the time yeah 
Does Fair he have enough. a car? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car did he have? Was it the boxy one? It was a Ford, like, Expedition. It was, oh, like, yeah, a big, yeah. big, 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 big boy. Yeah, I remember being in the back of that a lot. Covered in sand. <laughs> by choice. We go, go to the beach all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> sand by choice. Um, there's this girl on TikTok that filled, filled her room with sand. Having it. filled balloons with sand, I really respect that because that is hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Moving sand in general is hard. Maybe and she I had a professional her. company. No, she like had, yeah, she had like bags of, she was like, I'm going to have a sand room. Everyone was like, you didn't think about this. Yeah. It's also <laughs> illegal to take sand from the beach. Oh yeah, you you figured that out. Yeah, <laughs> James was there. No, I figured did it. it anyway. Yeah, we did do it anyway. Yeah. it's one of those things. If you feel like getting a thrill, take some sand from the beach. <laughs> um, I also okay. I had this crazy moment when I realized that the concerts had changed, shifted in like tone. Oh yes, because <laughs> yeah, when we were teens, they were like literally like a teen free for all. Like it was so much fun, and then. I didn't go for a while, and then I went, I remember one summer, and I had eaten an edible. <laughs> the best and I story, sir. I know, and I had that classic moment where, like, you're like, it's not doing anything, and then you eat more. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't realize that the, the concerts had changed, so I get there, and I'm surrounded by, like, like horny <laughs> middle-aged people that were, like, and I just, the edible started hitting, and I was like, everyone is, like, a monkey. <laughs> and I just started looking at everyone, and they just looked like they were, like, like dancing to the music. Like, it just, like, everyone looked so, like, like, like primal to me. Yeah. And it was, they were older, like, it was not a cool crowd. Yeah, it was yeah. not a cool crowd. Like, I felt kind of, like, bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, that was me being on an edible and being, like, everyone here is single and, and desperate sure. and sad. And it also, like, different <laughs> musical acts attract different crowds. So if you yeah. go on a night that doesn't, like, align with you it can probably be very charring <laughs> yeah no it was like you know you go in thinking you're gonna have your like nostalgia like indie like <laughs> experience and it was just like oh my god it was just like people with wine and like uh yeah then just the dj was like really basic kind of you know mm-hmm. like just kind of like house house ish and I got so, I was so fucked up. I was so fucking scared of everybody. And then <laughs> I remember getting in the elevator to go to the car and it was a full elevator. No. Like, and I just remember being like, I'm going to die. <laughs> like, oh, I'm no. going to die in this fucking crowded elevator. <laughs> and then I remember being like, I should eat. Yeah. I was like, I should eat to ground myself. And then I just was eating pizza and I felt like there was pizza in my veins. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, my heart's beating faster because I'm eating, but the pizza's in my veins. <laughs> It was so bad. And then my friend, who was also an edible, like, projectile vomit at that time. Oh, no. <laughs> it was, like, friend of the pod. Psycho. <laughs> Anyways, that's how I realized that Hammer was no longer the Hammer I knew. Um, then we adapted to the adultness. I also feel like the Hammer sort of hit this weird low point when they were sort of readjusting to that. And 100%. now their acts are cooler. Because I've seen things been, I've been like, oh, I want to go to that. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, they yeah. had a, a they had a dip, a dull, they had a dull moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the parties. Yeah, just like the They don't know to have a project. Yeah, yeah. We all have dull moments. Even the most iconic museum in Los Angeles. Um, what else did they, they do? Oh, I worked there for two years. Like I said, fantastic on the inside and on the outside. The courtyard's full of bamboo, mm-hmm. um, which is actually, I think, a symbol for the director because her home is also surrounded by bamboo. Oh, wow. Bamboo is really special. It's the most resilient, fast-growing plant. Also, yeah. after the bombing of uh, was it Hiroshima, yeah, they that was the first plant that grew back. Wow! And one more fun fact about bamboo is that when there's so many different species of bamboo, but when one of the they hardly ever flower. Usually, they flower every like twelve years. But when 
One of the species flowers. All of them do all over the world, no matter where they are at the same time. That is so cool. Yeah, and if you think of how tall they are, they're probably, like, communicating above our heads. Yeah. You know, they're probably being like, you going to flower this year, bro? I'm just like, no. <laughs> they're on another vibra- vibrational plane. Yeah. Bamboo's very special. I think I try to remember how special they are, so I, like, attract it. And, like, totally. my house has bamboo. Bamboo walls. Bamboo. Yeah. Also, part of the label is that. <laughs> also, if you ever. <laughs> Not sponsored well like by, but. My code for hard label 15% off is size spoon, and they're made out of bamboo. Yeah. I will say that their stuff, what's so unique about it is that it smells like bamboo all the time. Hmm. And they say that one of the things about their fabric is that it doesn't hold sweat. Oh, interesting. And it really doesn't. Hmm. Like, I always am ready to wash it, and I'm like, oh, it still smells like bamboo, even though I, you know, hiked in this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's nice. They, they sent me, they randomly hit me up and sent me stuff in the middle of the pandemic. And I was like, who, me? I didn't, I, <laughs> what did I, you order? What did you pick? Well, I was so taken aback. I only ordered. <laughs> oh, you had that reaction where you're like, me, I'll, I'll order a little thing. Yeah, right? I got this, the shorts and um, my a scrunchie. And then I got a bra, but I was like. That's a good set, I think. Oh, I didn't know that the bra I was, like, in my um, weight gain period, and so the bra, like, still doesn't fit me, and I'm like, one day. No way. Yeah. You're, like, bad timing, bro. That's really funny. See you later, baby. Um, <laughs> put, it, put it away with the rest of my closet. Thank you for this experience. <laughs> Thank you for teaching me that I could accept. Um, but, yes, hard label. Can't wait to get more. Order some more. Um... Sam, yeah, Hammer's amazing. So should we talk about the show? I feel like I just want to make sure that we close out on how great Hammer is. Yeah, big the part of our great. lives. In conclusion, first time I walked in there, I was 14 years old, didn't know what the fuck it was. Yeah. I just saw that it was free, and I was like, I like art, and I was getting into Tumblr. Um, and I'll never forget the first art that I saw there was a blow up doll. It was an installation of a blow up doll in a fake lake wow. in the middle of a gallery, and then a video of a man who I guess was the artist at a real lake somewhere else uh, with the same blow-up doll hat and trying to revive it in the lake over and over again. And I was like, I cannot believe this exists. I can't believe I'm here. And how I feel about conceptual art in that moment and how I always feel is like it's equal parts incredible, amazing. I love that people are just making stuff and half parts like anyone can do this, but I love that. Yeah. I just love the fact that we're just doing things. No, it does feel like an absurdist thing that we are all taking part in. I know. I don't want it to go away. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I used to, they, you know, they used to give you those the programs of what the show was, and if you were lucky, yes. one of your favorite pieces would be on the cover, and you could cut it out and put it on your wall. Yeah. Oh my god, I would save every sticker. Anyways, big fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Made in LA this time, I think was amazing. I think it was one of the best. Some of the pieces were some of the best. Yeah. I would say, I don't think it was one of the best as a whole. It wasn't the best as a whole. I do, I did it really like. right? Yeah, it was a. It couldn't be if it tried during COVID. Yeah. It was act with. I, that's the thing that made me sad about it is I think there were some pieces that were supposed to be interactive, and there were like one of the pieces had a um, a video of an actor within this giant like plexiglass reflective, mm-hmm. and he couldn't be he there. couldn't be in there, and so mm-hmm. I feel like that stuff would have really hit hard, and that is an pieces. interesting thing where it's like you cannot mm-hmm. replace the human body, you can't replace cannot, like touch, cannot, cannot. you can't replace like the sight of like someone sweating in front of you mm. with video it just doesn't have the same translation totally. so um you got to give the, the show a break this the performance time performance is so big yeah. i was thinking the last show what made it so notable was the amount of performance pieces mm-hmm. and like yeah that really fucking changes like you said yeah a body is way more energy than any 
object ever could. Yeah, because it's also like a body demands <sighs> your attention, whereas like you can really choose whether or not you want to engage with a video. Actually, you have to make the choice to really sit with this whole mm-hmm. video. But when there's someone performing in front of you, it's like you don't want to leave. You don't want to give up on them. Like mm-hmm. you want to support them, whether or not you know them. It becomes like this human thing. Yeah. So. Um, but I but I really enjoyed some of the pieces regardless. Yeah. So should we talk about our faves and our takes? Yeah. I think, okay, should we talk about the first thing that we saw, which is like, so when you enter the hammer, there's always this one gallery that I love that's like the lobby gallery. Mm-hmm. That's always like isolated and it's in a glass box. And so that's the first thing you see. And the artist was Sir or Sarah Serpas, the name? Yes. S-E-R-S-E-R-P-A-S. Um, and so their thing, which I just want to bring up because I think... I was calling it earlier a, rel- a, a cliche that needs to be ma- maintained. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had a bunch of found street objects just laid out, you know, so there was like an old kitchen sink, an old lamp. And the thoughts that I had, you know, first was like, I always think about the the personal viability mm-hmm. <laughs> of art. And I was yeah. looking at each piece or the piece as a whole and being like, you know, how does one who is moved enough <laughs> right. to want to look at this. Who connects. Um, but in the same way, I was like, that's not the purpose here. And then I started to just think about kind of the cliche aspect of garbage as art mm-hmm. and how although it's a cliche, it's a big cliche, I think it needs to be maintained forever. <laughs> I will, yeah, I think it's also just the need of humans to like time capsule themselves yes, and do that through taking things that would be average and ordinary but it also speaks to like where we are in like evolution mm-hmm. where it's like that sink wouldn't have been there a hundred years ago we weren't mm-hmm. able to develop that we it didn't have those materials in the future because it has a 2000s design correct yeah. yeah so there's something to it that i think is a natural thing i mean even birds squirrel or birds and, and squirrels squirrel <laughs> away things and collect things yeah. like for whatever reason, we all, you know, Joey, my dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> takes socks for no reason, mm-hmm. takes socks and leaves them in certain places mm-hmm. and will put them back if I move them. She'll mm-hmm. put them back in the general area. Mm-hmm. So it's something that we all have an inclination to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just taken it to this level of, of them putting it in a gallery, which I love. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because then you're just pointing at it to its importance. And I think anyone out there, I think you and I and most people like already think that walking around a city and seeing like old um, furniture is like such an artistic experience no matter what no matter what it is whether Mm -hmm. it's you know a a broken headboard or like a beautiful intact like vintage like you know couch or something Um, but I think anyone who hasn't had that experience or lives in a place where like Hawaii didn't have street furniture for example Mm. and there's a lot of places out there that just don't because it's like that's not how the trash system works that's not how the dumping works like yeah um, but anyone who's never had that experience of like oh wow it's actually so interesting to walk around the city and just see what people have left out now they will have that (laughs) yeah because this told them to yeah yeah love that (laughs) good stuff love it yeah in the same um, when we went upstairs, one of the first pieces that I saw was Someone Left the Cake Out in the Rain, which is one of my favorite songs um, mm, by Donna Summers. It Summers. is one of your favorite songs. I do know It's that. called MacArthur Park. Yeah. And so the piece is called Someone Left the Cake Out in the Rain. And it's a mm. triptych of MacArthur Park. It's huge. Mm. And I just really felt like this is something that is a very much like a made in LA piece because it mm. speaks exactly to... Our city, it, it speaks to what MacArthur Park looks like right now because it mm. didn't always look like that. It was always sort of 
it says in the, in the description. This was the painter. His name was Brandon. Oh no, this is Jill Milady. Oh okay. Um, and I just felt like this was a specific, perfect match for Made in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you zoom in, there's a lot of different like little vignettes within mm-hmm. it. And I've always just loved a painting where there's like it's a landscape that you can just look and see different things, and it feels like you're going to see something different every time. Oh, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. Detail paintings. <clears throat> that was that painting room was fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, there was... Okay, so I wasn't so crazy about the piece itself, but I loved the wall text. It was, like, the butterfly render in the mm-hmm, gallery. Mm-hmm. That one was... Okay, so essentially it literally was just a video of, like, butterfly, like, renders. But it was, like, it looked like, you know, when the people have butterflies and they put them behind glass... It was that, but it was just kept, like, zooming in and naming butterfly facts. Yeah. Um, so that was the video itself. But then the wall text said that the video posed the question, <laughs> does mimicry represent the adjustment of life to its external circumstances in the name of survival, or is mimicry productive of that environment itself? And then it kind of asked the question, sort of answered it, and said, mimicry is, after all, an aesthetic practice. Right. And it just made me think about trends in general because I think about that all the time. Like I think about, you know, why is every, why are it, why is a big handful of eighteen year olds getting a BBL just because? Yeah. That's the cool body right now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like why why did everyone get the same kind of tattoos when we were in our early twenties? Like mm-hmm. why why? <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, is it such a deep like they said? Is it feels like it's the na- name of survival when it obviously isn't? Like it's right. this deep-seated need for us to really align with our communities yeah. and show allegiance to our current communities in a time where our communities are ever-changing and they're not, you know, defining of our survival or our lives at all, but yeah. is that kind of like a, a bug we still have? Right. <laughs> or is mimicry productive of that environment itself? Well, yeah, I think it speaks more to how we, we have evolved from small tribal communities mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like still tapping into that thing of feeling like, okay, I'm going to align myself with you if I mm-hmm. do this aesthetic thing. Totally. I don't think it makes sense anymore, but I think that is the only explanation for something that is otherwise mm-hmm. illogical. Yeah. <laughs> no, we've never had this many options for identities yeah. to take on. Yeah. Like, you can move to a whole new city and just start acting like people. Yeah. <laughs> and it won't impede your survival. Like, you could survive there, survive over here, survive over there. It's pretty mad. But I also think with there being so many different identities mimicry then becomes much more of a choice that you're making because Mm -hmm. you can be so many different things now totally totally the world has become so much more open to Mm -hmm. all of these different aesthetics which is so wonderful and beautiful so like if you do choose like mimic this a really specific thing Mm -hmm. i almost find it more interesting but that's but then it's like we mimic the row, like the line of <laughs> the clothing line. The but row. That's what I'm saying. No, it's like not like we're exempt. I'm just, like, I'm yeah. just, everyone has their different. Right. Toys. No, I'm just thinking yeah. about like what that. Yeah. Where? Why? Yeah, I would say we mimic the row. I mimic older contemporary art people that I respect because I want their life. You know yeah. what I mean? I want to grow into what I see them doing, which is kind of having these like quiet lives where they theorize and go to these shows and think about you know yeah what is it copying is the most sincere form of flattery flattery. yeah Yeah. imitation yeah and then imitation is suicide (laughs) (laughs) alternatively another quote yeah um imitation is suicide i made a stencil of that quote and i was gonna put it around town when i was a teenager interesting yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Or isn't it an aesthetic choice that... <laughs> it was because I was mad because on MySpace, this girl would always steal my songs. Oh, that does suck. I mean, the thing is, when it happens to you, it sucks. And then when you do it to someone else, you're kind of like, what are, can I... <laughs> the free market. Can I pay you in <laughs> Yeah. The can free I pay market. you in <laughs> Truly a moment. Um, so that was, I just like that question on the wall text, the video itself. That's the thing that I love about conceptual art is you have options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that video was interesting because the process that he made, that he took to make the butterflies mm-hmm. was the whole thing too. I think he like did some sort of mimicry within the process. Mm-hmm. For him, it was actualized. Yeah. yeah, for him, he like had a spiritual experience yeah. with that, which I love. And a lot of conceptual art is essentially all the values and the effort and the practice. Yeah. And then you think, oh, okay, you know, and then they present kind of one idea, but then the idea is heavier because it's attached to this tangible, heavier thing. Yeah. You know? Fantastic. Should we talk about the Buck Ellis and stuff? Yes. So I do want to say some background of why this stuck out to me. This, uh, it was a room full of photos by Buck Ellison, who, um, I'll just read the, the sort of wall text. It's a drawing on the vocabulary of stock photography. Buck Ellison produces meticulously detailed images that examine white American wealth. On the surface, his large format images appear to mildly reproduce the habits and tastes of affluent families, wasp dynasties. I didn't know what wasp was for so long. I had to Google, I guess, like last week. Oh, now, yeah. I, now I understand. Um, you, or, well, it's white Anglo-Saxon person. No, white American. Um, oh my God. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Okay, which is, like, religious. Well, it's just a type of, like... Puritanical. White person, white basically. Person, right? Yeah. Uh, or Ivy League students. Lurking beneath this, however, is a deep inquiry into how whiteness and privilege are sustained and broadcast. So I thought it was interesting. For me, it was striking that this was in the show because, to me, Made in L.A. always felt like the quintessential black and brown celebration or, like, yeah. true, like true L.A. celebration of, like you know, not, it never felt like you were going in there and seeing stuffy, like, high art. It was always kind of just these wonderful local artists that were kind of, like, breaking the the mold of, like, you know. And so having all these photos of just, like, white American families, it was like, this stands out. And then I also noticed my natural attraction to it. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking about how there's this other artist who had this book called Generation Wealth that mm-hmm. I was obsessed with. It was all photos of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why am I and many people so attracted to this? Yeah. And it's because it's a world that I have no understanding of. Right. And it's like the Made in LA artists, like 90% of them, I'm like, oh, sick. Like a bunch of guys hanging out in front of the liquor store. Like, you know, like yeah. I've seen that my whole life. Yeah. I get it. But then when you see these people in these families that look so stiff and rugged and golfing outfits I've never yeah. been on a golf course and I'm still not, not <laughs> you know or yeah. like the country club aesthetic I'm just like I can't believe this exists on such a mass scale and I have absolutely no idea what it is so those photos hit me harder than I thought and then yeah. I also and I want to get maybe your opinion on this is like did it like did that comparison like having that next to sort of a much larger body of works that showed an opposite lifestyle, you know, like, mm-hmm. does that mean anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, as a white person, no, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I also felt like those really stood out because the way that even the way that he sets up the photographs yeah. and the very like clean digital, and he probably was shooting on film because he's been around for a long time, but they, those look like digital prints. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 
while it's just a really obvious photograph of the family sitting on a floor, mm. there it, there's something freakish about it. So freaky. And, and they said stock photo. They just was trying to emulate stock photos. Right. Um, and but what about why is it stock? You know, like why is this like this the stock family also? Yeah, that's a good question. Because um, stock implies oh, this is a general clip art for correct. It's everything. something that is available for mass consumption. When it's so unavailable. Like, Completely. And it, so I think. <laughs> There's something to it where it's like flipping the script. You know, you have like the National Geographic people going to a tiny village in mm. Africa and taking photos of the tribe and being like, look, look, yeah. look at their, their dress and look at the way that their communities interact. Okay. And it's the same sort of vibe. I just want to say really quickly, just yeah. to tell this story really fast, um, is when I was in Hawaii, there was a guy who had a store on the street that I lived on mm-hmm. and it was full of photographs of just that. He really? went himself. The owner of the guy went himself and took those photos and would go to these tribes and I like, yeah. asked so many questions about it because yeah. I've never talked to one of these people that actually did that. You yeah. just kind of hear about it being like, kind of fucked up, kind of weird, you know, yeah. was glorified in Nat Geo in yeah. the 2000s. Now it's not cool. And he said that he would go and you always had to have like an invite somehow and mm. he just had a network of people who were actually close to the tribes that he would photograph and he said he would take photos and a lot of the tribes didn't have mirrors or cameras obviously but it was the first time they would see their own image wow and they said and i was like well how did they react and he was like great he was like they were just really excited Mm. and so he'd set up a room and take portraits and then just show them their face on the camera and they'd be like whoa that's crazy yeah like a novelty thing um but then he did tell some stories that he kind of glazed over where things went bad and there was yeah. fights and you'd have to flee and like you weren't welcome there. Wow. So just saying, like there's people still doing that and yeah. that guy was and making of money off of it. Yeah. Yeah, because I do feel like it's such a obviously, I mean obviously, but it's so exploitative. Mm-hmm. And I think putting it in the light of like doing the same thing with, with white people, like it's it's so subtle because it is like again, it's just a a, a photo, it's just a stock photograph, mm-hmm. but the just the lighting and the way that it was so oversaturated and kind of mimics this, like, something you would see in an editorial mm. spread in Nat Geo, but it's, like, in someone's tiny little, um, a, not tiny, but it's, like, a, mm. a basement of a wealthy Midwestern home. If you think you of know. the concept of exposure, too, yeah. just how the word is used for photographs, but also... Yeah, there's a feeling of, like, you're watching. Right, and even the <laughs> photo, there was a photo of, like, golfers on a golf course, and one guy was faced away from the camera, and you can see, like, a stream of pee, and kind of, did you not see that one? No. Oh, it was, it was like, four or five men, white men, golfing on a green, and then Like, there he was, peed himself? No, peeing, like, he's oh, peeing, he's urinating. Oh, oh, you just oh, see oh, the stream oh, of it, yeah, in between <laughs> his legs, and, like, that sort of thing of being, like photographing them in their wild habitat you know yeah. like it felt like a zoo thing yeah exactly um, and I think that that's yeah. like great like that's how white people should be looked at more often but it is how I've, I feel like I've always felt that way about rich white people always yeah. I've always felt like interested but in this way that was like you, like almost like a person going to a zoo mm-hmm. <laughs> where I'm like okay what are these little games that you play because they feel so different than anything I've ever understood yeah um, but it was nice to kind of be able to even think about that. Like, yeah. Why am I so excited that somebody <laughs> did yeah. that, you know? Yeah. No, so true. That was one of those things where I, I feel like with every Made in L.A. show, there's a couple artists in there where you're like, you're not from L.A. and this isn't about L.A. What I, mm-hmm. Why is this here? And I do wonder what the thought process is with that. With that one? I mean... I don't think, because I don't think he's L.A. based or... Maybe he was at one period of time, but they, there's always like sort of bending of the rules <laughs> yeah. with like a couple. He's been here for three months. Yeah. <laughs> no, 
Yeah, but in the same way, it is such a LA is such a wealth conscious city that yeah, it does apply. Truly, yeah, it's it's it is funny. There's if anyone's interested in that kind of work, there is that artist. Um, the book is called Generation Wealth. Let me get her name really fast because I want to say her name. <laughs> Uh, Generation Wealth is the book. It's this big golden photo book, but it also comes with stories. But what I love about the book, Lauren Greenfield, and they've shown her work at the Hammer, which is why they have the book in the mm-hmm. store, um, is that it's not just like rich people. She just talks about money in general. So it's mm-hmm. like there's people who are like, I remember there's one really scary thing about this porn star who had like a childlike body mm-hmm. and like basically was just desperate for money and like made so much money and was like the quintessential like pretends to be a kid porn star. Oh, wow. And it was just her whole story and then it kinda unfolds into like what money really does to people and like right, right, but right. The, it's a huge anthology of just like every angle of it. People who have it, people who don't have it, people who are desperate for it, people who gave it up. Like it's really fantastic. Yeah. Um generation wealth. But I will say too with those photos, like don't you feel like those like, I also observed my reaction to it where it was, like, I think there was a time where you would see those photos immediately be like, oh, that's an image of a successful person. Mm-hmm. And now I look at it and I'm like, you know, and I think more people feel this way. It's like, this is kind of a weird thing that happened culturally or that that is happening. Yeah. Like, it's a weird pocket of, but it's no longer the definition of success. It's yeah. kind of like this route that people take, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, or are born into um, definitely, I also felt like the way they placed it in the gallery was really smart, where they actually mm. created this weird partition mm. where the, some of the photos were hung. It wasn't even on a real wall. So yeah. you sort of found yourself in this L shape that was sort of exactly like how you find mm. yourself in a subsection of society. Mm-hmm. And you're faced with these people, and then you step out of it. And it's like, because yeah. that's it's not accessible to everyone. Not everyone mm-hmm. gets there. And it felt... Um, like at the time I was just sort of like, ah, oh, I'm walking into a show scene. Mm-hmm. What am I going to see? But then it was like, oh, you're just faced with this, this culture of wealth and mm-hmm. whiteness. And, and then you walked back out into like more, mm-hmm. something more representative of the real world. I also felt like throughout the show with either photo and video, I felt more pulled into things with real people that were digital. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was because of just being on the phone and being on the computer all these years. Interesting. You know, because yeah. it was like, I love art. There was like, but I remember as a teen being way more interested in stuff that was very, very like paper collage, like, yeah. you know, built. And then I would be kind of like, oh, video, like, oh, like a photo, like who cares? Yeah. And then now I'm very like, wow, I feel very affected by like seeing a human being like mm. in HD or something. Mm-hmm. Um, should we talk about black news? Yes. Okay. So I would say the best thing... I felt this way even when I would see bits and pieces of it at the um, Underground Museum. So Black News is a two-channel video project by Khalil Joseph, who I think runs the Underground Museum, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, so his work, it was always, Black News was always up in, like, the Underground Museum in, like, the gift shop, like, when you first enter. Yeah. And it's just immediately, it's so compelling. And how I can describe it is, you know... It reminds me of like any, but it's like more successful than anyone who's ever tried this, which is it's the best clips. version of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like clips strung together that seem at random, but create such metaphors when they're put together. Yeah, and it's entirely about the black experience, and it switches from kind of, you know, harsh news stories or exposés to, you know, showcases of just like black excellence and like cute babies and like yeah, just 
you know, it goes from absolute like wonder and beauty and art to sort of harsh political stories and realities. Um, but the way that it's strung together, it's like you never want to leave. Like, yeah. you know, it was so great. We were in there for at least 30 minutes. I had to pee for half of it. <laughs> we waited I for 20 minutes. I yeah. didn't want to get up. Well, it was COVID so restrictions good. was only five people could be in the gallery. Right. And normally a video gallery is like people go in and out because usually video work, like the butterfly thing is like, okay, we're zooming in on the butterfly. <laughs> cool. I guess we'll go now. And then this was just like, dude, I don't want this to end. I don't want to leave because it's so good. Yeah. And you really did feel like I, like, learned things when I was in there, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There yeah. was some stuff I had, I knew stories or, like, certain athletes that won awards I'd never heard of. Yeah. they So they call it conceptual journalism, which is also such Ugh, a brilliant so divine. way to put it. It really is. And I the way that they... The way that they just bring you to, like, emotional lows mm-hmm. and then scoop you back up. Yeah. Right after. It's like it doesn't get old because mm-hmm. you're like constantly riding this wave of you like cry emotion. And laugh and cry yeah. And laugh. Yeah. And I, I just And also don't. you're like there are moments where you want to do both. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't just this cheesy thing of like I'm feeling this and I'm feeling this. It's, mm-hmm. like, it's like there were moments where like the Jerry Seinfeld part where he's with Steve Harvey on the talk yes. show. And it's like I can't, I can't even parse all of this at mm-hmm. once. Like I need a second to think about this and yeah. then we're on to the next thing, totally. you know? And it's, I think it, tr- like I was thinking about why it's so special. I was like, it transcends form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was thinking about the concept of like, well, there's spirituality and then there's like the concept of the spirit, which is not bound by the rules of form. Right. right. And so what does the spirit do is it has ideas and drops them. Right. Mm-hmm. It like, it goes off whims. It has subconscious thoughts that are just floating around. And I was like, that is what it accomplished, but in like such a beautiful way. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this, but it was at Sundance the year that Chris and I were there. No way. And he went there with his mom when his mom came into town mm. and he was like, yeah, we were there for like 30 or 40 minutes. Like I wish I had seen it there, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it also, um, they state in the, in the piece that basically like it's updated constantly by the mm-hmm. editors and so that's something that also feels very current. It's an ever-changing, breathing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you almost feel like, I don't want to miss this rendition because it's going to be... If I, we were yeah. to go back, it would be, probably be different. Oh, I know. I was like, I want to go there at like right when they open and yeah. just sit there the whole time. Because we, be like, we, never, <laughs> we never saw... like It doesn't go on a loop. We never saw a beginning or an mm-hmm. end. We heard FKA Twigs when we were standing in line. We were there... 50 more minutes and we didn't see her we didn't hear that song again that's true I was thinking about that too like the different sound markers yeah and just I just cannot stress enough like how it's I think it's the best art out right now I just have to say like Mm -hmm. 100% it's the best art that's happening right now it's the best because it just talks about everything that's happening and the fact that it's through this kind of simulated like news channel yeah I was like, there's no generation, I mean, maybe in in other kind of times of, you know, desired revolution and crisis, I just never thought that, you know, we would be in a time where everything's news-based, media narrative, we're following media narratives every day, everyone, you know, and it's just like, it touches on that, it also touches on, it's like how I want, it's like how (laughs) social media is, but like beautified, you know, in this, where you're scrolling. Yeah, like it is like like very fast, so it keeps up with the attention span of like (laughs) the declining attention span that we all have, but it does it in a way that like serves the medium and serves the viewer. Mm -hmm. Um, Creates metaphors, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a, it's just a brilliant way to reclaim the narrative. Totally. Um, And if you're in LA, it's BLK. 
NWS. Mm-hmm. And there's actually viewing points throughout the city, one of which mm-hmm. is at Bloom and Plume Coffee, um, Cedar Sinai, mm-hmm. Go Get em Tiger in Highland Park. It's all over the city. Um, highly recommend seeking it out. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're like, holy shit, I'm going to the hammer right now, go, <laughs> go. I would say this is my recommendation. I think I'm going to go back and do this is come right when they open and head to the main gallery where it is and just sit there as long as you want and then leave because if not, there'll be a big line yeah, <laughs> and you yeah. won't get in and everyone is in there just totally in the portal, not leaving. Not one person left when we were like sitting there. Right? A few people it was like left. one person. But yeah. it, was like, it was not like any other It wasn't like gallery. a filtering in yeah. and out. It, you really, you spent time there. <laughs> you sat there. When I, when I ran into uh, one of my old coworkers, she said that when they first opened the... Uh, the restriction was one. Oh. One person. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was like, that's terrible. Wow. Uh, That'd also be really hard. I felt like viewing it with people too was a healing so important, experience yeah. because you felt you other people's crying, reactions yeah. of crying. Yeah. Like I heard some crying, I heard some laughing. Yeah. Which also <sighs> just speaks to like the importance of viewing things with other people. Mm-hmm. We've all been view- viewing things alone for the past year and a mm-hmm. half. Like it just oh, the communal experience. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, you know, it's so funny that during COVID, people were like, we're never going to go back. Like, Zoom is so easy. And I was like, I don't think anyone feels that way anymore. Like, mm-hmm. there is nothing. I think like that certain things person. will be, will remain remote. Like, a lot of... Like, worky stuff. Yeah, I think companies will do hybrid work, which I think is for the best. It creates more of a balance. Yeah, but I remember there was just theories that were, like, acting like live music and, like, and like going to art shows was going to be, like, less mm. of a thing. And I was like, you have no idea. Like... <laughs> Feelings will always surpass, like, Have you ever tangible. sat in a gallery? Yeah. <laughs> Anything, we're dying for it more. I want to go to, like, every live show I can. Yeah. Um, Do you want to take a break after pee really quick? Yeah, totally. Okay, we're back. Yeah, we got a pee break, and then we had a water break with the water bottles we got yesterday <laughs> at the museum. Near the museum. Near the museum. Um, I guess I just want to close out the Black News moment with um, how in the wall text it said conceptual journalism, which really hit me, and I know hit you. Mm-hmm. Um you mentioned it conceptual journalism yeah (laughs) which in I guess the medium of black news it seemed like that was represented as journalism in the sense of something that documents what happened right Mm -hmm. but it was done in a conceptual way that wasn't reliant on narrative yes and wasn't reliant on attention yeah necessarily like clickbait attention or media yeah media chaos <laughs> right well what I thought was interesting about it is I almost feel like that term is really great for um, a lot of the TV media that we have nowadays mm-hmm. it's not real like we're not really getting like CNN to me is conceptual Fox News for sure mm-hmm. like um, it's a collage of like feelings with Definitely like, with a like, of feelings. I feel like black well news is, is more of a um, benevolent version of that. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Fox News is just like, we're taking our, our sort of like tiny facts, blowing them up. We have photos, we have Emotional videos. guy speaking. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> Emotional newscaster. Right. Like I feel like a lot of things mm-hmm. are actually veering into that land more so. Mm-hmm. And it, black news actually just like, identified it yeah and is yes self-identifying yeah because maybe in a sense everything is conceptual journalism because it doesn't really rely on truth anymore like you said it's very much about well everyone has their own version of truth at this point everyone thinks that they're hawking their truth Mm -hmm. um 
but yeah, I think in a in a way, it it actually is a big relief to hear that term. Oh, totally. Yeah, I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> conceptual journalism. And if I think about, I wonder, you know, we're in the conceptual art age, right? Still, yeah, for sure. And I'm like, what does that mean? And to me, it's always meant that we're leaving the body. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how long we're going to do that or if we're going to run back into our bodies, you know? Yeah. But how do you run back into the body, especially in a time where everything is kind of evolving against that? Sure, right? sure. Or at least the natural body. Yeah. Or attachment to the body. Yeah. Yeah, I think even living in general is a conceptual piece, right? Like, we have 100%. a concept of being <laughs> yeah. this identity and then we we decide to change it or mm-hmm. it changes over time whether or not we're aware of it and our symbols we are a symbol to people 100% um, we are a symbol to people whether we like it or not and maybe we are in a way we and like and we're a different symbol to different people exactly right? exactly and that's where the varied perception of the outer world will always come into play because you're going to represent something to someone different every time yeah you can also say that's why we have the rise of influencers now people we've always wanted to watch other people live but now we really yeah. want to yeah I mean that's sort of what <laughs> this sort of goes back to our conversation on branding but branding to me isn't like a bad term because it it actually just speaks to that speaks to the truth of like our conceptual nature and yes, like yes absolutely which has always been there but right, not fully right. never fully actualized yeah or addressed mm-hmm. in the same way that we're addressing it now mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think I think everything is conceptual. We're all conceptual <laughs> journalists in our own way. Like when we tell a story, mm-hmm. we're telling our perception of it and people mm-hmm. either buy into the symbols that we are using or mm-hmm. not. And I guess narrative could be dubbed like the more objective version of an abstract phenomena, whether that's something that happened that's way more nuanced emotionally mm-hmm. than it ever could be in story form yeah and that's you know? the thing that i think black news did really well is they they showed us a narrative and then somehow they were able to convey through series of images the emotion mm-hmm. behind it rather than telling us what to feel Absolutely. they showed us yes they did not tell you how to feel yeah and you sometimes didn't know how to feel right yeah and that's amazing <laughs> totally and that's not what other the other news networks are doing nowadays. Now it's like mm-hmm. Anderson Cooper looks into the camera and you know exactly what he wants you to feel. Mm-hmm. He wants you to feel enraged. He wants you to feel shameful. You want him to be on one's this side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's very good at sh- like that. I mean, all of the big um, <laughs> newscasters are. That's Someone what needs to make art about Anderson Cooper as a subject. Yeah. I'm surprised no one has. I feel like there, you know. I don't know. It would just be nice to come into a time where there's art being made about these figures. Maybe that's the future. Like you said, like people are becoming a symbol more than ever. Yeah. Like, I'd love someone to just put a bunch of Anderson Cooper clips together and totally <laughs> project it onto a piece of foam. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. Everyone's feet have to be like in grass. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Just to do it. <laughs> um. So we're definitely an hour in. We can make a super long episode and talk about what we want to talk Let's go all the way. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, at this point we're doing every two weeks. Maybe that's the tea. Every two weeks you get a big, fat Joe rogan size episode. <laughs> I can't believe he's the number one podcaster and his episodes are like four hours. I think hours. that's so crazy. Like, is it just because most people drive a lot? That is probably, yeah. It means a lot of people's commutes are like an hour and a half, so you just break it up over the week. 
Yeah. Which is also frightening because that means there are a fair amount of people that only listen to Joe Rogan. <laughs> because sure, that's all yeah. the time they have. People like what they like. Yeah. <laughs> they were talking about him at the coffee shop. Oh, they were, yeah. That looked like someone who I'd imagine would listen to Joe Rogan. How do you feel about Joe Rogan? <sighs> I've never listened to him, not because I'm have a very strong opinion, but I I just have my podcasts. <laughs> yeah. I should probably listen to him. I think the only thing I've ever listened to was the Elon Musk one. Oh, yeah. I, I watched that in full. And Kanye. Yeah. Did you watch the Kanye one? Oh, yeah. I watched some of Kanye. Yeah. But um, in general, I feel like I, I'm very attuned to people. Really what it comes down to is I'm actually really attuned to the tone of people's voices mm. on podcasts and in guided meditations, which is why I'm like weirdly like as a meditator not mm. super into guided meditations because mm. I'm super I feel like a, a lot from someone's tone of voice mm-hmm. and I just can't handle his tone of voice yeah yeah um and I know that sounds like such a weird like ex- <laughs> excuse yeah but it really like is something that um I can agree with that yeah I can really agree with that and it's not even like oh the words he's saying like someone can be really um informative and have an incredible mm. podcast and if I don't like the tone of voice mm. it, I just can't get behind it it's even a guided meditation which is like mm. one of the most beautiful open things um I just can't listen it's to frequency. it frequency it's a yeah it's a frequency thing frequency over yeah. content <laughs> frequency is the content <laughs> true yeah that's kind of what we're gonna get into with the curating life topic right? yeah yeah um yeah, that's that. We finished that. Yeah, I feel the same with Joe Rogan, just to say... Yeah, I only watch when he interviews someone I like, which I get excited for, because I'm like, wow, I'm getting a three-hour interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was probably Kanye, Elon, and... Uh, I remember Harry told me to watch Miley Cyrus, which actually ended up being really entertaining, but I don't love her enough to stick it out, so it was right. kind of like in the background for an hour. Um, but very interesting. I definitely want to like do more research on like who listens to Joe Rogan and how, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, do they listen to the whole episodes? I heard this whole podcast about Joe Rogan. Isn't his thing about, like, how he was bullied as a kid or something like that? Am I thinking of someone else? He was an MMA fighter. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. There's some other dude that has this whole backstory about how he got kicked out of school and and they were able to debunk his whole backstory. But I'll, I'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that. It'd be crazy to have a fake backstory. I know, but I if wonder... you're of a certain age, you can because there's True. no, like, internet record. But I would love to also do research on that is like when people have a fake backstory that they're charged from mm-hmm. it's like are they as charged as someone with a real backstory you know in the sense that yeah. they're like inspired by their own tale yeah. okay whatever so well, curating a life <laughs> okay what does curating a life mean to you like when we were like let's talk about that yeah um curating a life is sort of just making really just comes down to making choices and figuring out what those choices, how those choices affect you, and if you like them or not, and then being able to adapt um, if you if you don't like them. And I think being able to have responsibility for how your life is rather than mm-hmm. just accepting things as they are, which you do have to accept things, but there's also, you know, the Alcoholics Anonymous quote where it's like the power, accept what you have the power to change and mm-hmm. botching it. But I just think, like, you can accept things, but you can also look at how you can change things oh, so. accept what you can't change and change what you can or something like that yeah people always think that's my is quote a, is a re- sometimes i get a people think sessions a rehab post rehab page you wow because it's like similar yeah so i was like mm, all the religions and all the rehab places kind of say the same thing yeah what does that tell us but that's yeah so basically like i i know some people who would be like i like this thing is this way for me and i'm not going to change it but it sucks 
Yeah. And I think that's what curating your life is, is sort of being like, okay, I'm having trouble with this thing right now. What can I do to change it? Mm-hmm. What can I welcome in that I want? Um, and that just being like an ever-evolving process that never change, that never stops. Right. I wrote in my notes, seeing things as challenges as opposed to problems. Right. Which is something I have to correct myself on all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if I feel, like, barreled by something, I'll just be like, okay, I could be on this hamster wheel of, what does this mean? And, like, why do I suck? Or I can be like, yeah. okay, how do I alter this? I feel like on the Choices thing, like that song, Choices by E-40. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I choose to get money, I'm stuck to this bread. Everybody got choices. These bitches is choosing them all in their head. Everybody got choices. Keep it one that one like that I chose. What does so, that mean to you exactly? For me, agreed with you with choices, but I have this thing now where so I wrote saying yes or no is the same thing as dismissing or allowing something, right? And I've come to this, this is something kind of recent for me where I've sort of come to this like obsession with like saying yes and no it's like choices it makes your entire life but also understanding like the sheer like vibrational power in like yes and no mm-hmm. that you're saying like frequency over content right? yeah like, which is our the frequency makes the content yeah exactly that in the sense that like it's more than just boundaries you know it's like I think there's a lot of airtime to like boundaries learn to say no but it's also like creating your life in the sense that if you say no to something that's coming to you like you're creating an energetic vibration and subconscious condition that that's not in your life you know what I mean so let's say someone treats you very poorly like a friend or in a relationship and instead of enduring it and thinking how can I change this person and it's my mission to like figure out like why this is happening to me and what's wrong with me you just say no I don't accept that this is not part of the reality I want right you can claim something or not absolutely and I find personally and just observing other people it's like once you say no to a condition it doesn't really show up again I mean it can show up and maybe you'll dismiss it sooner but I do believe in this idea of like vibrational frequencies being determined by choices Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and this idea that you know tuning your vision and your subconscious to just very simply like without much rage without any deep emotion really to just be like yeah or no yeah this is what I like this is what I don't like but understanding how powerful it actually is you Mm -hmm. know like it's almost like the the management of the ego when you're like the ego is so powerful but I have to like casually manage it like you know it's like the eternal dance but I really just think yeah curating your life is being so serious about your yes and no's like you know yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think when you think about curating, it kind of, to me, implies this idea like when you curate a show where it's like it's either in there or it's not. Mm. And I think when you step into that mindset, you kind of have to hold things like sort of you were saying with non-attachment of mm. like, okay, it might come up again, but then I just have the opportunity to say yes or no again. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, and not getting frustrated if something comes up again. Like mm-hmm. I do feel like, in many ways, life is like a, a spiral of, mm. like, you start with a really tight circle of something, and then it, it feels really compressed and compact and mm. intense, and then maybe, like, you experience it again in, like, a wider, more open mm-hmm. way, and then you have the opportunity to, like, change the course and expand it again, mm-hmm. or you can spiral back in Absolutely. if you don't accept, like, that this is another lesson that you mm. can just take really easily, so... Um, another song... The universe is shaped exactly like the earth. If you go straight along, you're going to end up where you were. Modest Mouse. Oh, yeah. Should we play that, too? Yeah. 
experience that like I've definitely like made a decision and been like I am doing this thing I'm changing like I'm saying no to this and yes to this and then uh, along the path of life somehow mm. like the orbit will come back around and I'll literally be faced like there was one time I left a job I really didn't like went on a path went on a journey two years later I was working mm. across the alley from the same old job mm. and I literally looked at the geography of my space and I was like I'm in I'm on a spiral I'm in this orbit and I've just come to face Mm-hmm. this point and I have the choice to realize that I'm in a moment of meeting an old moment mm-hmm. and I don't want to continue on this path and I'm and I left the job mm-hmm. I left the new job a, two days later yeah <laughs> and it was one of the best decisions I made mm-hmm. um but it wasn't like I wasn't like I'm so angry at myself mm-hmm. for landing back here it was like oh okay I'm picking up these clues Mm -hmm. and it can go in the same, it can go in the positive as well. Like yesterday when we were at the hammer, Mm. um, I put this in my story on Instagram, but like in 20 February, 2019 or 2020, I was working on a indie feature. I was super tired. I was really like still broke for some reason Mm. and I was working a lot and I just, um, felt so worn down and I took a photo of myself in the bathroom mirror Mm. to just be like okay this is who I am like I'm still here Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then when you and I went yesterday it was a completely different experience Mm -hmm. I took a photo in the bathroom mirror and I was like I know who I am I feel good about it like I look like (laughs) just happy like Mm -hmm. full of life and and that was like another point on the orbit you know Mm -hmm. And I think that's also something that really comes from living in the place that you grew up, which is really nice, too. Yeah. Um, which I can't take for granted, of course. Totally. But and it's such a magical place. Like, yeah. To be... Like, L.A. just evolved so quickly, and then, like, to evolve within L.A. is to really get to, you know, move that fast. There's, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity, which we're very lucky yeah. to have. But, yeah, I think that's what curating is, is, like, being able to recognize patterns and conceptualize your life yeah yeah exactly I was thinking when you said uh that idea of how it's sort of more condensed and then it's less Mm -hmm. condensed and kind of that experience is like how much detachment plays a role in that and it's like every change or every challenge is so easy when you look at it from that perspective of what you're saying there's like less condensed like less narrative heavy moment but like you said oh I'm here again okay well what do I do yeah you know almost like a video game character that's like okay I didn't pass the level okay well you know or like I'm here again under different circumstances Mm -hmm. like there might be an evolution of some sort but I'm still on the like facing the orbit you know yeah this visible yeah um yeah non-attachment is like a huge part of being able to operate with yeah and it makes it fun Mm -hmm. right I think the number one thing I see people struggling with is sort of the the turmoil that comes with change, forgetting that, you know, the nature of our both physical and emotional bodies is adapting. Like, mm-hmm. everything is in our favor to adapt, and yet we let ourselves be taken aback by that first discomfort to the point of almost, like, being paralyzed by it, you know? Yeah. Um, how do you feel about vibrational frequencies? I mean, that's something we're, we're both <laughs> just, like, naturally into. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, that's like a given. I think um, vibration, uh, we are all vibration. That's like the most core part of everything here. We're all atoms vibrating. Mm. And so you can't look away from that fact. Like it's actually like, it's something where I think spiritualism and science meet Mm. is like the, the core of who we are is like vibration. So we're not even physical matter truly. So if something feels a type of way that's like translating into vibration and when you sort of can curate <laughs> sorry you just there was tea there's tea <laughs> sorry, but when you like think about curating a vibration it's sort of like how do you want to feel like something that I've only in the past year and a half and sort of in many ways thanks to you mm-hmm. I've something uh, a new focus is like curating um a life of ease and relaxation Mm -hmm. and so everything that I'm doing setting up my I'm very much in like a setup phase of but most importantly after the challenge of never having that for sure yeah yeah um and it not being natural to me Mm -hmm. um it literally feels uncomfortable for me to be Mm -hmm. relaxed or at ease and many many times so um I'm in kind of like a setting up phase of like this life I'm leading now and how I'm making income and whatever. And so everything that I'm doing is like, how can this be as easy, relaxed, natural? It doesn't mean that I'm not um, working towards something Mm -hmm. or or putting in like actual hours and time. I spend Mm -hmm. probably 50 hours a week at this point working, (laughs) but it's because, but it's doing things that I know I'm setting myself up to like not be run down and, and so a pace a pace a pace right. yeah and like not feeling rushed and so that's mm-hmm. something that I'm attract like that's the vibration it's like do I have an exact image of exactly what I want sort of but not necessarily mm-hmm. but it's definitely like a, a vibration um or a frequency that I'm attuning attuning to mm-hmm. and that I'm finding myself in Mm -hmm. and that is like that's really the curation I think that is it's not like um you know an a-type personality of like I'm bringing this thing Mm -hmm. in and this thing in and and, you know it's like more like um it's a very like primal thing of like being able to feel something out and seeing if something aligns with you or if it doesn't Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being, yeah, being okay with the pace of things. I think something that I've always been is someone who just wants to go as quickly as possible. Um, and that's just not how, like, that's not how nature works. Not like how nature works. the vibration of nature, which I think is the most pure thing for this physical body yeah. is slow. Very slow. Very slow. Very unassuming. You know, the bamboo shoots that flower every 12 years. That's yeah. like that takes time then it happens on a global scale mm-hmm. so there was something you said that really hit me because you were a bit of built because you said the condensed energy thing and then you said matter and so basically scientifically like by definition energy is condensed matter right mm-hmm. so if you think about that as a metaphor for how or we matter is condensed energy matter is condensed energy yeah, yeah like yeah. energy when it vibrates really close together and there's so much of it it turns into matter which we recognize as things that can be physically experienced with the five senses and I was thinking about that as a metaphor for making things matter. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? It's like when you, <laughs> <laughs> like when, like you said, when you're struggling with a lesson and it just matters so much because yeah. you're putting so much of your 
invisible emotional energy into making it matter. Yes. And all of a sudden it becomes this huge elephant in your life. You right? create like a tangible, and that's the thing sometimes yeah. with disease, people literally create a tangible thing mm-hmm. in their body, like yeah. from these unaddressed emotional things. Yeah, which or, can also be passed on genetically, correct. right? Yeah. I also think of genetics, I always say they're the physical, they're like what we can observe at our level right now of ancestry. Yeah. They're like a physical manifestation of ancestral energy. Mm-hmm. And that is some fucking shit. Yeah. But <laughs> um, yeah, energy, making things matter turns them into physical things. Yeah. And yeah. science, you know, science has a metaphor for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Kills me. Kills me over and over again. Truly. Kills me. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> energy okay um if you were to name one thing that you are curating into your life right now uh, you yeah. don't have to say one thing but if it's a general I think I noticed a pattern recently in my mother and grandmother mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as something genetically that I have that they both have uh related to just their patterns with love and romance and like their Mm. fertility Mm -hmm. and I essentially just kind of come from a line of very (laughs) wild romantic (laughs) horny women (laughs) and I've been looking at that and fertile fertile very fertile women just get pregnant like I just come from very sexually charged family Mm -hmm. for sure um and it's in a sweet way it's not like there's no darkness you know lucky for me but like it's just a very like family like loving men loving sex having babies like (laughs) but it's potent and I think I've been just unpacking that recently and looking back on my life and how a lot of the decisions I make are in line with that energy yeah yeah (laughs) and are also kind of led to not the demise but the lifestyles of people in my family that I don't want to have right so right now I'm kind of like looking at the genetic manifestations of that energy on an Mm -hmm. ancestral level and also looking at my habits picked up. I even talked about it with my own mom. Like, she's aware. Yeah. Uh, and that's been really, really interesting. And so I'm just wondering who, how I situate myself when in, literally just as a re- reproductive body. Right. And how it's just a strong energy. I have a very strong reproductive, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's something that, like, my, I remember my mom would say about your mom was like... <laughs> Maggie always wants to talk about sex. (laughs) And then, like, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... I love it. Like, I think it's such an amazing part of life, but it's also something that I want to be above. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I am in a way, but I'm also not, you know? And I I don't want to make the same mistakes. Um, (laughs) You know, I want to keep it light. So that's definitely something that I... A vibrational frequency, like I said, of just attuning myself... To knowing what decisions lead where, what decisions my family has made, and just all the kind of knowledge you collect, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hawaii was uh so fucking potent in that because yeah. it's such it's such a primal place. It's such a like sexually charged place. And I went there for love. I went I stayed for love. I, I had insane sexual experiences and like it was just I feel like I came there to really that was part of the journey for sure. Mm-hmm. It was like having it just, I'm all the way on an island doing this thing that I do. Like, sure. what does it mean? You know, 
T. Yeah. It's intense. That's an intense one, though. I'm right at the cusp. I'm right at the beginning. Yeah. Of that one. Um, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> Is it the ease thing? Have you... Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> that. I think it's um, similarly with my family. Like, my both my parents have worked really hard, and both of them have worked themselves into disease, um, both of which have been life-threatening. Um, very serious and has altered the course of our family. And so when I was at that other, that old job that I spoke about before, and like, I feel like it was 2016 at the time, I was running around, I was drinking coffee, I had like a cookie, a sugary cookie, and I was like, this is it, I'm on fucking high right now, so fucking mm. like, it's a, it's, a, it's a Thursday and it's sunny, and then I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like it was like the narrative in my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had this moment where I stopped, and I remember my mom was like, when I was at UCLA, I couldn't afford to eat, and so I would just have, like, an Advil and a Tab, which is, like, mm. a Coke, a Coke drink, mm. a soda. And and she was like, and then I'd go to work, and i eat the desserts, because that's all they let me eat, because she was also a waitress. Mm. Um, and I was like, holy fucking shit. <laughs> like, I'm running myself into the ground, just like my mom did. And that was, like, 2016 that I realized that. And so it's been a very interesting... That was, that was before my dad even... I knew that he even had cancer. Yeah. Um, and so this whole my I think my biggest thing is figuring out how to slow down Mm -hmm. and figure out how best to um create space for myself Mm -hmm. so that I can I can be a creative force and not be destroyed by that or destroyed by the work that it takes to support Mm -hmm. um creativity like you know my mom was always like you work you know you you work to live you work to survive like and I don't want that for myself it's also and for the world it's yeah. also not sustainable yet for the world it's also that's not a reality because if you do that ultimately like your body can't sustain that mm-hmm. so um over t- the course of 2020 I realized like um I was doing production design and I thought that that was like better because it was an artistic mm-hmm. format but like it was the same but different like I was mm-hmm. working really hard working really long hours um, working for other people and so this whole thing that I'm doing is like curating a life of ease and being able to really share what is truly like um, the highest frequency that I have to share and I think that in order to do that I have to give myself space and give myself ease but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that I don't wake up like with my heart racing because <laughs> it's it goes it goes against like all of my genetic makeup. Yeah, like everyone yeah, in my family yeah. is like Oh my god. Everyone is a worker. A lot of people <laughs> on my mom's side have been hit really hard with really life threatening illnesses. Mm-hmm. And they've they're all like running from trauma mm-hmm. and you know, with work. So yeah, it's it's trippy. I think we're both really trying trippy. to slow down for different yeah. reasons. Yeah, but I think that's also just a symptom of like the generation that we're in like mm-hmm. um yeah totally and I do think Gen Z mm-hmm. is sort of like gonna have to figure that out too because they're coming straight out of the gate too into like mm-hmm. the internet age and there's like only so many tiktokers that can tell you to mm-hmm. <laughs> stop grinding yeah something <laughs> you know? definitely something's gotta give because I mean we our parents came out of the time where especially the US was really pumping this idea of success into people sure and it was so honorable to be hardworking. Yeah. I mean, the number one insult that was in my family was being lazy. And I'm yeah. like, well, the gift of being able to be lazy yeah. sometimes yeah. is like, that should be looked at, you know? Yeah. And I also think like 
being lazy creates an environment for like the true voice of like spirit which is I always say is like quiet you know it's it's in stillness and in solitude in a lot of ways and like not chasing the general ego narrative and not chasing your own ego narrative Mm -hmm. um definitely slowing down it's interesting I was I never thought about the diseases in your family just like the symbol of disease and it's like in my family it's a lot of like hormonal stuff Mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's stuff related to like the womb and the thyroid and yeah it's very interesting yeah mine is like organ failures (laughs) (laughs) yeah structural (laughs) structural damage to the machine yeah yeah and mine is like oh shit (laughs) no it's fertility and (laughs) oh shit oh energy yeah no it's really interesting (laughs) it's really interesting so it's great to be on this journey together truly yeah and I I appreciate everything that you've done to like reflect that no, same with you. You yeah. really helped me with my end of this, mm-hmm. which does require a lot of, you know, just tapping into nothingness, right? <laughs> it's truly. Welcome to yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. And then one thing with, with Gabby, I will say, when we lived together, especially in Venice, like, she would give me so much shit for, like, working really hard or, like, not working yeah. towards something, like, working just yeah, sort of running away from, from my art, which was, you know... Which is another form for spirit. Mm-hmm. And you, you know? never gave me shit for being so passionately, obsessively sensual. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you did lead by example, I yeah. think. And I would watch you go through these periods of just like pure, you know... Celibacy. You, yeah, yeah, celibacy being on yeah. your own and just... Soloness. And just it being great and fine, you yeah. know, and the no void there. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. like... I was, I was single for like... Or I was single for a long time. I don't mm. remember now. And I remember it was a very, like, key part of my identity. Um, but not in, like, in a, not in a way that I was sad about it. For, mm. I think early, early on I would be sad about it. Because I felt like I was supposed to be dating or something. Mm-hmm. But then I realized that it was just another part, like, another era, you know. Mm. Um, and then I was like, great, I'll just do this thing and... And now I have, like, a, a loving partner, and that's great, too, and that's an era, you know? Yeah, truly. Yeah, I, I'm excited. <laughs> I just feel like I feel like we'll be different people in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Ooh, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we close up? Any announcements? Mm-hmm. James's Substack still going strong. Love yeah. It. Now is good. Um, substack.com <laughs> I'm also putting out a hardcover um, book soon. Like, a, uh, what is it? Hard print. It's a hard copy. It's a hard copy. Yeah, <laughs> hard. It's a hard. <laughs> uh, it's a hard print copy of the guide to guided meditations that I did, and that's exciting. I'm working on that. Um, also, the meditation following this episode is going to be like a gallery experience mm, so excited so just t- stay tuned you know when James told me that idea she's like oh we're in the gallery I'm gonna like film I'm gonna record, record the sounds I was like yes yeah <laughs> that's my friend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got anything anything see, Patreon's still going strong um always a good time we got the tumblr we got the weekly oh, topics yeah I need the code again Oh yeah, I changed the password. Yeah. The password. So I have a, a private Tumblr which is just like updates and my favorite content saved, which I really love because it's hard to actually revisit content um, on the internet. Yeah. Because if you screenshot it, it gets lost in the flood, and then if you save it, you never look at your saved. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, Tumblr is just a good place to document things and journal, and I also use a lot of more personal references there for ideas I share, a lot of stuff about dating, everything that has happened starts there, but I really enjoy that. So it's a Tumblr with a password <laughs> on Patreon, as well as these weekly podcasts where I talk about, you know, Seisman-specific things. Um, yeah, so Patreon, I, I'm in, in contact with the... 3D printing studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm excited about that. To possibly make some stuff. <laughs> we got Wabi Sabi further thoughts in the library. Yeah. <laughs> the new acquisition. Um, that? All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us for over an hour. Being along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Keep it going. Keep going. Keep the balance. <laughs>